Arthur, what's on sale? Series three of Mrs. Brown's Boys oh, can now no, be found no, in no, any... No, 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 What's on sale? Oh, the At Your Peril official perfume, Aunt Pira's Adventurous Pass. That's more like it. When can people get it? They can get it via a link in the description. What else is on sale, Arthur? At Your Peril, it's alive. Our very first live show. And where's that? That's going to be at the Vault Festival in Waterloo, London. Ooh. And how can people get tickets? There's a link in the description. Great. Oh, and uh, speaking of shout-outs as well, I think we should do one for Carl, who um, narrated this episode, actually. He's a lovely, lovely guy, great actor. And um, I think he's got his own little theatre show on, so uh, maybe we could give him a little shout-out. Oh, yeah? What's the, what's the, what's the little theatre show? It's called, uh, it's called Hamilton. S- sorry, Hamilton? He, by the looks of it, is playing uh, uh, Hamilton. We've... Hang on, we've got Hamilton think it's from on Ham- the West End. Hamilton somewhere. is in at your peril. Check it out, guys. This is it's Hamilton. Violence. What? Why are you looking at me like that? Hello, dearest listener. You have tuned in to At Your Peril by Arthur McBain and Owen Jenkins. Before we begin, a parish notice. A warning. What you are about to hear may terrify and horrify you to the very core of your being. It may also involve content unsuitable for children, those with a nervous disposition, or wimps. If you must, turn off your receiver now. No? In that case, we shall begin at your peril. He stared out of the window. It was like gazing at a reflection. An office block just like his. Tall, grey, uniform, brutal. It rose up, a mammoth pillar of steel and glass towards a sky he rarely ever saw. Inside the block were people just like him. Tall, grey, uniform, brutal. Sat at identical tablets, crunching numbers like grazing livestock. Mouth breathers hunched over, digesting their breakfast, thinking about which of the seven food stalls they were due to visit for lunch. He pulled up his Monday socks and checked the countdown clock. The countdown clock never counted down. It always counted up. And every time it counted up, the workload increased, and more tasks would need completing. His job was to slow down the countdown clock as much as he could. In fact, that was everyone's job in the whole block. Staring out of the window would not help, but staring out of the window was better than staring at the screen. He took a breath through his nose, which felt good. No one breathes through their nose anymore, he thought. Soon, someone would be checking on him, asking him why he was staring out of the window instead of staring at the screen. Then they would comment that the countdown clock was going up and it was important to slow it down. But for now, For a couple of brief moments, he had a little bit of peace. He could let his mind wander. Then, like clockwork, Why are you staring out the window and not staring at your screen? Said the senior supervisor, whose name was written on a badge on his lapel in thick red type. Everyone's name was written on their lapel in thick red type in case you didn't know their name. This meant that no one knew anyone's name because they were all written in thick red type on their lapel. I'm sorry, he said, adjusting his Monday tie and staring back at the screen. The countdown clock is counting up, you know. Yes, I know. Well, it's important to slow it down. Yes, I know. I'm sorry. 
Good, good. Chop, chop. And so he chopped, chopped until lunch. He ate at the first food truck. The third food truck was his favorite, but it was a Monday, and he'd have to wait till Wednesday for that. Then he chopped, chopped until the countdown clock was turned off for the day. He traveled home on the standing train, which had no seats because the business district was busy and had no use for uneconomical space. The standing train stopped at six stops before his. Doors whooshing open and closed as passengers stepped on and off, while the other commuters waited patiently for their turn to alight in a silent worker's waltz. And at the third stop, the doors whooshed open, and a faint breeze carried a smell, which for a fleeting moment added colour to his day. Then the doors whooshed closed, and it was gone. As the standing train chugged on, he daydreamed about the smell. It was intoxicating. Cinnamon and vanilla, and decidedly out of place in the business district. Looking around, he wondered if anyone else had smelt it, because at that exact moment he seemed to have been the only one breathing through his nose. He held on to the smell for as long as he could before it disappeared from his senses, and with it, so did the color from his vision. The gray reappeared and filled the carriage with every clack of the track until the standing train stopped at the seventh stop, and he alighted. No one ever got lost in the business district because everyone always knew where they were going. The streets were straight and at perfect right angles. You could get anywhere by counting the blocks. He lived three blocks forward and seven blocks right from the standing train station. He could walk in any configuration of forwards and right blocks so long as he counted a total of three ahead and seven along. He had never turned left out of the standing station in the time that he'd lived there. He had no need to, because the view was exactly the same whichever direction you took. He got to his entrance and climbed up the steps, 42 up and one to the left into the porch of his flat. He checked the mail as a matter of routine. As usual, he didn't have any. He closed the door behind him. His door had no locks because no one in the block had any locks. Everyone's flat was filled with the same things, so there wasn't anything worth stealing. Unless you wanted two of the same thing, and no one did because having more than one of each thing is uneconomical. He took off his jacket and hung it on a hook before going to his one berth kitchen to make some food. He heated up a box from the top shelf of his fridge because it was a Monday. His favourite boxes were on the fourth shelf, but he'd have to wait till Thursday for that. After dinner, he took a shower, washing in the same order that he always did. The dispenser dispensed a pea-size amount for his armpits and groin, a pea-size amount for his face and his neck, a pea-size amount for his hair and his feet. Then he dried in the same order he always dried, a rub of his towel on his armpits and groin, a rub of his towel on his face and his neck, a rub of his towel on his hair and his feet. After his shower, he pulled on his pajamas and went to the armchair in his one-birth living room. The walls were completely grey and devoid of decoration. All of the decoration he needed was in his headset. He pulled it on and settled in for an evening of entertainment.
In the morning, he wandered, heels clicking on the pavement in the sea of commuters on the way to the standing train. Way above, a tiny crack of sky could be seen. It was dim and grey, just like his Tuesday suit. In reverse, the walk was seven blocks forward and three blocks left. But when he got to the standing station, something had changed. He didn't feel like standing on the standing train. He didn't feel like slowing down the countdown clock. He didn't feel like eating the food from the second food truck. But then, as if answering an unasked question, a smell filtered through the air and up his nose. Cinnamon and vanilla. The same smell he'd smelt on the previous day. It was coming from a direction he'd never walked before. And for the first time in his life, he turned left out of the standing station. And for the first time in his life, he could see people's faces as he walked. Because for the first time in his life, he was walking in the opposite direction to everyone else. Not a single person looked up as he passed, lost in their phones and their meditation apps. After three blocks that looked the same as before, he wondered where his standing train would be up to. Looked at his watch. Stop number four. He suppressed a giggle and walked on. Every block was the same. Tall, grey, uniform, brutal. The standing train would be leaving stop six by now, and he should be alighting for work any minute. He pictured the senior supervisor's face when he didn't turn up, confused and anxious, looking at his empty work pod and glaring back at the countdown clock, which would be counting up quicker in his absence. People were never absent. Ever. And there wasn't a protocol for when people were absent, and there wasn't a protocol for what to do when there wasn't a protocol. The senior supervisor would be scratching his head and trying to remember the truant's name, but without his badge on the lapel in thick red type, he'd draw only blanks. The second food truck would have one meal left over at the end of lunch, and the staff wouldn't know what to do with it. There wasn't a protocol for leftover food, so it would just sit on the counter until it was discovered by a business district cleaner who hadn't been trained for a circumstance such as this, and would leave it where it was before continuing their predetermined route. Everyone would simply ignore the meal until it rotted away, and order was restored. An hour of walking went by, and he noticed a change. The buildings were getting smaller, and the sky was getting bigger. The air was crisper and colder and newer. The smell of cinnamon and vanilla was getting stronger, so he breathed through his nose some more. The countdown clock would be counting up faster, but he cared less and less as he went on his way. His phone started ringing. It was his senior supervisor, so he threw it away. Then he undid his name badge and did the same with that. The smell was getting stronger, and the world regaining colour. It was intoxicating. Cinnamon and vanilla. Wherever he looked was a new world of wonder. He heard music and the clicking of his footsteps and saw sunlight in the sky, and all the concrete, glass and steel didn't seem to squash him anymore. And then he stood at a square. He hadn't seen an open space for as long as he could remember. There were no open spaces in the business district. The business district had no use for uneconomical space. The square was filled with trees which were rustling in the breeze. It was autumn, 
so the leaves were beautiful shades of auburn, chocolate and gold. They littered the grey pavement, creating a carpet of colour, and when the wind whipped them up, they exploded into eruptions of brightness. The houses around the square are impressive, wide and palatial and standing on their own, not bunched together like the tower blocks at home. Everywhere he looked were decorations, carved pumpkins, woolen cobwebs, dangling skeletons and white ghosts. He chuckled. He had completely forgotten that today was Halloween. He hadn't even thought about Halloween for more years than he knew how to count. And amongst it all, cinnamon and vanilla. The smell got stronger and stronger until it hit him square in the face. Something soft. A scarf, blown by a gust of wind. It obscured his vision for a brief second, so he pulled it down. And that is the moment he saw her. And for the first time in his life, lightning bolts shot through his body. He checked the sky for a storm, but there was only sunlight. The lightning bolt must have been coming from her. She was standing on the other side of the square, feeling for her scarf. It was like gazing at a reflection. She wore an outfit just like his Tuesday suit. Sharp, grey, uniform, brutal. She was wearing a dazed expression on her face. The sides of his lips curled up, and he formed a smile. She did the same. Without second thought, they walked towards each other. Hello, she said. Hello. You caught my scarf. I did. He handed it back to her, and she nodded her thanks. You work in the business district. So do you. Why aren't you there now? I turn left. You? I turned right. Children in Halloween costumes walked in straight lines to school as the parents drank coffee and chatted and laughed. As the daylight faded, she turned to him and asked. You know what I've forgotten? What? What it's like to have fun. And before they knew it, he and she were knocking on doors. Trick or treat, they said. What are you supposed to be dressed as? Said the people at the doors. Zombies. Business district zombies. The people at the doors laughed and gave them colourful sweets, decorated brightly as different Happy Halloween characters, spiders and ghouls and witches and mummies. They hadn't had sweets for more years than they could count. They made friends and laughed and, for the first time in their lives, felt truly free. And as the full moon hovered above their heads, he reached the tip of his little finger out and touched hers. And then she did the same. Holding hands felt unique, like they invented it. He looked down and noticed her lapel badge was missing. So he said, I don't know your name. And so she told him her name and he did the same. That night, they decided to escape the business district once and for all. The suburbs were where they envisioned their lives. Their souls were so happy, their hearts were so full that the countdown clock didn't phase them at all. The faster they did their work, the sooner they could leave and spend their time together. This made them work very fast, and he and she became experts at slowing down the countdown clock. This impressed their senior supervisors, and soon, promotion after promotion, 
they were supervising the seniors. Amongst all the workers at lunch and on breaks, they stood out from the sea of grey. They talked to each other about all sorts of things that weren't economics, which was exceedingly rare in the business district. The business district had no use for uneconomical talk. And every Halloween, he and she turned left out of Standing Station 7 and walked to the suburban district to join in with the trick-or-treating. This was far more important to them than even their birthdays. Because it was a bigger birthday of sorts. It was a birthday of them. And as they trick-or-treated, they dreamed of a suburban life. Money was a worry for lots of people in the business district. But because he and she had been promoted to supervising the seniors, they had so much money that they didn't need to worry. They didn't need the business district anymore. They made the jump between districts, which didn't have a protocol because moving districts never happened. They found a house around a square that was wide and palatial and standing on its own, not bunched together like the tower blocks back home. In their new house, it always smelt of cinnamon and vanilla. The following Halloween, they got married and had a trick-or-treat themed wedding where all of their neighbors threw sweets instead of confetti. At their first dance, they did the monster mash. Everything was new and exciting and open and bright. They stared at the children in Halloween costumes, walking in straight lines to school, and wanted some of their own, so they could take them trick-or-treating and be parents who drank coffee and chatted and laughed like the other people in the suburban district did. And not long after that, twins were born. A boy and a girl. They named them after themselves, but with Junior at the end. The countdown clock was a distant memory, but each Halloween, they pulled out their old grey business suits again and dressed up as business district zombies. They custom-made special little business suits for Junior and Junior to join them. The four of them travelled from house to house, trick-or-treating and eating sweets which were decorated brightly as different happy Halloween characters. Spiders and ghouls, witches and mummies. They made friends and laughed and felt truly free. This family trick-or-treat tradition continued through the years. The juniors kept growing and the custom-made suits kept being customised to get taller and taller. I'm proud of our life, she said. I'm glad you turned right. I'm glad you turned left. And then the day came that the juniors left home to set up their lives and make stories of their own. And she turned to he and he turned to her. And they both felt the same lightning bolts that they had done on the first day in the square. They felt that same lightning bolt every day for the next 40 years, even though there was never any bad weather in the suburban district. How pleased they were that they had found each other. They felt like the luckiest people alive. And when Junior and Junior came to visit on Sundays, they'd all sit around the table and laugh and tell stories, now that the Juniors had stories of their own. Junior and Junior would ask him and her what it was like before they were born and she would furrow her brow and he would tut and look down. Life had no meaning, he said. It was all about money and working and toil. Everything was grey and lonely and boring. And I was unhappy. But then she came along and then you came along and now I'm truly the richest man on the planet. There's nothing I want and nothing I need. 
He stopped, then added, Except trick-or-treating on one day every year, of course. Then the juniors had juniors who join in on the fun, and tag along on Halloween in even smaller business suits, until the whole troop of them looked like travelling salespeople. Business district babushka dolls pretending to crunch numbers like grazing livestock, and mouth-breathe hunched over, digesting their breakfast, thinking about which of the seven food stalls they were due to visit for lunch. But the food stalls were a distant memory, and that night, they feasted on sweets. And on their last Halloween together, he and she could barely walk, shuffling on Zimmer frames to front doors dressed as business district zombies who'd long ago retired. With a whole train of juniors tagging behind, they made friends and laughed and felt truly free. They looked at each other and felt the same lightning bolt as they did in the square on that first Halloween many years ago feeling not a single day older. He drew a long breath through his nose and felt cinnamon and vanilla enveloping his senses. He kissed her softly and told her he loved her. At that point, he'd finished all the tasks that he needed to complete and his own countdown clock turned to zero. He closed his eyes for the final time, happy and fulfilled. The luckiest old man in the world. Then he pulled off the headset and opened his eyes. He enjoyed the evening's entertainment, but felt perhaps that the cinnamon and vanilla fragrance had been too sickly sweet. He made a note to download a new headset fragrance for tomorrow night. Lavender, perhaps. Monday's box dinner repeated on him, and he left his one-birth living room and entered his one-birth bedroom, went to his wardrobe, and took out his Tuesday suit ready for the morning. Tomorrow would be Halloween, but he had no plans. Just another day in front of the countdown clock. As he laid in bed, he stared at the grey ceiling. He thought about the possibility of turning left at the standing station, the way he had done in his headset, but he knew what was really there. The view was exactly the same whichever direction he took. Another block, another standing station, more blocks, more standing stations. More and more of the business district going on and on until you ended up right back where you started. The suburban district didn't exist. And neither did she. was voiced by Carl Queensborough, Holly Edwin, Owen Jenkins and Arthur McBain. Arthur, I'm sad. Why are you sad? Because we've only got one episode left. Well... Oh yeah. Are we going to announce the Christmas special? <laughs> Sounds like you probably just did. Uh-oh. Ho, 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 bitches. <laughs> <laughs> the AI Alliance is sorry to interrupt your usual broadcast. The Star Project is imminent. Streaming will begin next week. Thank you for tuning in.